city is about to pay for the nastiness of its inhabitants. When that day comes, when the slime starts to rise, the Titanic just arrived. When ghosts start arriving by the boatload, we gotta find the guys. There's only one thing to do. Sometimes weird things happen. Someone has to deal with it. And who are you going to call? Right, suck in the guts, guys. We're the Ghostbusters. The superstars of the supernatural are back to nuke the spooks. Two in the box. Ready to go. We'd be fast and they'd be slow. Make some time. Don't put any of those old cheap moves on you. No, no, no. Different. I have all new cheap moves. Raise your spirits. If we don't do something by midnight, you will be remembered in history as the man who let New York get sucked down into the tenth level of hell. And kick some slime. It looks like a giant jello mold. I hate jello. Oh, come on. There's always room for jello. Happy New Year. Close them. Ghostbusters 2. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far, and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson in an Ivan Reitman film. Ghostbusters 2. You're the best, we're the beautiful, we're the only... Welcome to Ticket Stubs and Cassette Tapes. I'm Andy and he is Chad. What's up, Chad? Hey, Andy. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. Today we're going to be getting into Ghostbusters 2. So we've covered Ghostbusters Afterlife. We've covered the original Ghostbusters. And now we're going to close it out with Ghostbusters 2. This should be a pretty fun one. Um, before we really kick into it, I just wanted to, while we're, uh, you know, sort of wrapping up the uh, the Ghostbusters uh, saga here, I wanted to uh, 
you know, just take a look at this uh, video game announcement that looks pretty good from Illphonic, this Ghostbusters video game. Now, I'm a pretty big fan of the uh, the 2009 Ghostbusters video game. I mean, to be quite honest with you, it's probably one of my favorite games of all time. I've played that thing like five times all the way through since it came out. Of course, it was remastered um, a couple of years ago, and I love that game. So I'm pretty excited about this one. I know Illphonic's more of an independent company. They released uh, Friday the 13th, for those of you who are familiar with that, or uh, the, the Predator Hunting Grounds game. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. I know Ernie Hudson's already talked about uh, being approached for it, and I think he said he knew for sure that Dan Aykroyd was going to be a part of it. Uh, so it looks pretty fun. Chad, what do you think about that? You, you, you're pretty excited for a, a new Ghostbusters game? I am, absolutely. I think it'll add to the story. Like the uh, the one from 2009, like you said, uh, I played that one. It was uh, fun. It was a great story. Uh, at that time, we thought that was the only sequel we we're going to get. So hopefully this will just uh, add to the to the canon. Yeah, absolutely. And that was what was so cool about that game is it really was Ghostbusters 3 for a long time. I will say that um, that was one of the things I was only, you know, mildly disappointed with with Afterlife is I kind of wish they could have found a way to to, ke- to keep that video game canon. But, uh, you know, I get it. Um, the, the story was cool, though. I mean, it really doesn't, uh, you know, in hindsight now, it really doesn't uh, ruin the game for me at all. It's still it's still a really fun, really well-made game. And anytime you can make a video game like that and bring back all of the uh, the original characters to voice their characters in the game, that's pretty awesome. So looking forward to that. Um, like I said, I just wanted to sort of drop that while we're still on Ghostbusters and that's sort of some breaking news we're getting. Why not jump into that? Uh, last week, we spent a lot of time on talking about Afterlife before we jumped into the review of, of the original Ghostbusters. We're not really going to do that this week. We're going to jump straight into it. I do want to say something about last week's episode. <laughs> so uh, in post, in uh, you know brushing up some stuff, I realized that I kept referring to Eddie Murphy as Eddie Murray. I just kind of <laughs> wanted to clean that up a little bit. Now, I have sort of a script I follow here. And because, I guess, because I was writing Bill Murray, I also wrote Eddie Murray, and I sort of had an anchorman moment where I just read what was on the teleprompter, uh, no matter what it was. So uh, I did want to apologize for that. Um, But we're going to move into Ghostbusters 2 here. Um, So this movie, obviously, the, uh, the sequel to the original Ghostbusters from 1984. This came out in 1989. Um... There's sort of a lot going on with this movie and around this movie, um, if you know anything about it at the time. Um, you know, Bill Murray had sort of dropped out of acting at, at this point for or was just taking sort of a hiatus, and he didn't want to do a sequel. And I don't think uh, Ivan Reitman wanted to do a sequel. And I want to say um, maybe Harold Ramis as well didn't want to do a sequel. But... Uh, it, in some at some point uh, around 1987-1988, uh, Sony got some new leadership, and they really focused heavily on doing a sequel to the original Ghostbusters. I think in large part because the uh, animated series had done so well at that point that they really wanted to capitalize off of it and uh, do another theatrical movie. And that's sort of where you got 
this movie from. Um, so I, I'll just start it off here. We'll, we'll sort of, I think we should, you know, probably sort of start big scale and then we'll, we'll go smaller scale and get a little more specific. Let's just start with the story of this movie. Um, so obviously at the beginning of the movie, um, the Ghostbusters have, you know, broken up for all intents and purposes. Uh, you know, they make mention or, um, Winston makes mention towards the beginning of the movie that, you know, they got sued by every, uh, you know, uh, by basically all of New York after, uh, you know, the events of the original Ghostbusters because of all the damage they did. Um, and you can imagine, you know, the mayor uh, okayed that whole thing. So he was probably in some hot water too. So he really doesn't want to have much to do uh, with the Ghostbusters in this movie. Um, Dana is now working at uh, the museum uh, in New York. Uh, she is working for, uh, or her boss is a new character in the story, um, Dr. Janos Poha, uh, played by Peter McNichol. Um, and in that museum is a painting, of course, we know of Vigo the Carpathian, who is set up to be the villain of this movie. Um all the Ghostbusters have new jobs, so Egon's back working at the university. Ray, of course, is running his own bookshop, uh, Ray's Occult. You never really know what Winston is doing. Um, it's, you know, sort of assumed, or not assumed, it's uh, implied that he and uh, and Ray are still doing some events as the Ghostbusters, like birthday parties and stuff. Um, and then, obviously, Peter is a, a TV show host, Uh world of, of the psychic. So they sort of have their own thing going on. And basically one thing leads to another through Dana. They discover the river of slime. They discover Vigo and they battle it out with Vigo towards the end of this movie. And I know I'm skipping a lot there, but like I said, we're just going, you know, big scale here. Um, so my initial opinion of this movie, just to begin, I like this movie. Now, you have to understand that um, I was born after Ghostbusters was had come out. So when I, you know, first, you know, watched Ghostbusters, there was already a Ghostbusters 2 in place. So I basically watched them almost as a double feature. So for me, you know, they matched up pretty well. But there is, there are definitive differences between the two movies, right? So the second one, um, it has good qualities. It has good things in it. Um, and it has a little more cheesiness to it. And I think that's one of the best way to describe Ghostbusters too, is it's got a little bit more of the cheesiness to it. Um, you know, obviously this is not a scenario where the Ghostbusters are, um, you know, they, they haven't just like fleshed out into this, you know, um, franchise like you might would have thought after the first movie they basically have to start over again but not really fully start over um and then you have the character of vigo um who's different from gozer um there is a mystique to his character but it is distinctly different and then you obviously have the element of the river of slime which is different which i i like uh but it, it is you know it is it's something new um as far as I'm concerned, the third act of this movie is not as strong 
not really nearly as strong as the first one. And that for me is what really sets it apart from the original movie. Um, like I said, I, I do enjoy I, I like this movie. I when I, I can watch this movie and, and enjoy it a lot, I, you know, and, and I do a lot. But um, like I said, there, there is a definitive, you know, difference between this movie and the first movie. Again, I enjoy it, especially, you know, for what it is. Um, and I know that there's a lot of Ghostbusters fans out there who really love this movie. And, and I, you know, some who this is their favorite of the two. And, and, and that's fine. I mean, if you're a fan of the franchise, uh, I wouldn't say I absolutely love this movie, but I do like it. Chad, uh, kind of like I did there, just sort of give your your initial thoughts and opinions on this movie. Yeah, so it's a Ghostbusters movie, so you know I'm I'm going to watch it, and I remember when it came out, uh, and and the excitement. I, and and you're right, you know I was a fan when I was little of uh, the real Ghostbusters, the animated series. As as a kid, I had the toys and the firehouse, the Ecto one. Actually, I still have them. I found them uh, at my mom and dad's house. But like you said, you can definitely tell when when two came out, it was really capitalizing. Uh, on the popularity with, with with the children and kids and uh, toys and things like that, you know, a lot of elements from from the real Ghostbusters spilled over into um, uh, into Ghostbusters Two. One being, you know, uh, the character of Janine, right? I really liked her character in the in the first one, but you can t- she was a totally different uh, character in the second one as opposed to the first. And I think that came from the animated series. And I'll be honest, I didn't like the character in two as much as I did in one. Um, again, like you said, a, a lot more uh, cheesiness to it. Um, I think they were targeting, targeting that more for the kids. I think they saw the popularity in that. And and I don't know if there was a chance to sell toys or not, because they were already had a very successful toy line with, uh, the real Ghostbusters, but you can you can definitely tell what their target, uh, a lot of their target audience was um, in, in writing this, especially with the the slime, the river of slime, because you know that's that's that was popular with the kids. I remember, it, you know, it it coming with the uh, with the toys uh, back then when I was little, especially the the firehouse. It come with like a tub of slime, which I never got to play with, uh, but um, it, it's it's a good movie. Uh, definitely, I, it, in my opinion, not as good as the first. Uh, the story was good. I, I, to me, I felt like there was some plot holes uh, or some things that, you know, as I watch it now as an adult, I'm, I'm, of course, this is a movie about ghosts and things like that, but uh, just uh, continuity between the first and second, there was some things that, uh, to me, didn't flow as well. Um I, I like the movie. It's just obviously it's of uh, the first Ghostbusters uh, two, and then Afterlife Ghostbusters two is definitely my my least favorite. I'll say that. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree. After I, I did like Afterlife better, hey, although it's for me, it's almost it's really like I I say that and I mean that, but it's only it's kind of hard to say that for me because. Ghostbusters 2 still has those, you know, it has the original guys in it. And there's, you know, yeah. that kind of brings the charm to it for me. Yeah. So, and I think that maybe part of that is that we've just had Ghostbusters 2 around for so long, you know. And you can watch it, and for me, I can look past the stuff I don't like, especially at this point. 
you know, and just enjoy the fun parts of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I do 100% agree with you, and that's not a secret, you know, about Ghostbusters 2 being aimed more at the kids, you know, the, the target being, uh, you know, uh, more kid-based. And, um, you know, that that is just, you know, that's something that happens in Hollywood. You know, you get something like an animated series for something, and then uh, whenever they come out with the live-action movies, they're probably going to open up the audience, uh, the target audience, a little more. Um, but yeah, like you said, um, there are, there are, there's continuity issues. There is for sure. And there, and and, you know, that even flows over into afterlife a little much and I'm a little bit, and I'm starting to get Mm -hmm. the, um, impression (laughs) with Ghostbusters that they're like, eh, you know what, (laughs) there's some (laughs) of this stuff that we can't really, you know, we can't deal with too much because we got to, there's got to be some uh, suspension of, of uh, belief or, or disbelief or whatever. Yeah. Here. I mean, um, look at the premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I've always thought, you know, specifically in this movie when uh, they're in the, the courtroom and, you know, the, uh, the judge opens with, you know, we're not going to have talk about ghosts or none of that garbage in here. It's like, well, you know, there was like a, you know, hundred foot marshmallow man walking down the streets. <laughs> like, that's kind of hard to miss. Yeah. Know? Or it was, it was like, you know, the middle of the day and it turned to dark and a hundred foot marshmallow man and ghosts flying around everywhere. And, uh, you know, like this huge portal op- opened up on top of the building, which I get that the people in the streets couldn't see that, but still, uh, there's got to be at least a few of you out there that saw this stuff. You yeah, know? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, there is sort of, I think they're trying to go with a little bit of sort of uh, irreverence to it, you know, uh, like, well, we can't make it all, you know, believable. So, uh, yeah, but I, I agree with your, with what you're saying. I mean, there is, there's there's some plot holes. And, and listen, this movie, uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe wholeheartedly believe that this movie uh, is just trying to do its own thing and and you know i know that a lot of it f- follows some of the format of the first one not totally but you do have you know the the montage scene and you do have you know in the, in the first movie you have a marshmallow man the second movie you have the statue of liberty and right. i mean so there, there are similarities right there are definitely similarities but, you know, you sort of get the vibe from this movie that it wasn't trying to uh, be as serious as the first one, which is kind of odd to say because the first one was not, you know, it was still a, com- a comedy in, you know, in a lot of ways. So it wouldn't be what was not being totally serious, serious. But, um, yeah, there, there's there there are just some things about this movie that like you said and you know like i was saying that that make it uh distinctly different uh in tone uh especially from the first movie um so as far as characters in this movie obviously we have uh you know the original characters come back you know peter and ray and egon and winston and janine like you mentioned um dana now Dana has a, a son, a baby named Oscar. Um, you still have Lewis there, Lewis Tolley, who's sort of taken on the role of their accountant, uh, accountant slash, slash lawyer, slash lawyer. <laughs> yeah, 
got his degree at night school. Um, you also have, like I mentioned, you have the character of Janosch, mm-hmm. um, who, by the way, Peter McNichol, who plays him, I believe, I've seen him in some other stuff. I believe he's American, and he does like this, I don't know, what would you say? I mean, it's like this European accent in this movie. Right, right. That's a pretty epically good accent. <laughs> like, yeah, I, 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 I agree. I grew up my whole life thinking that guy was just foreign. You know, he was <laughs> European. And then I saw him in another movie, and he was, like, just speaking totally American. And I'm like, what? Like, that just blew my mind. Um, but you have uh, that the character of Janos, who is, you know, sort of playing uh, the second bad guy. Uh, he's sort of possessed by Vigo, but not really possessed. That was something I never really understood. But... Uh, you know, he's not possessed by Vigo, we know, because Vigo's trying to possess the baby. But he's still under some sort of, uh, I don't know, like hypnosis from Vigo, I guess you could say. Um, well, not till later on, though, right? Because he, uh, he he seemed to give in pretty easily at the beginning. Well, he did, um, but I, I'm talking about when he gets, like, you know, shocked in that scene. Right, when Vigo asked for the child. But before then, he was that was of his own free will. Right. I, I'm the only thing that always threw me off though was in that first scene when he's you know, when he first discovers that Vigo is alive, the painting is real. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that sequence, you know, he gets that lightning, that yellow lightning shot in his eyes. Right. And then he immediately uh, just a few scenes later goes to the apartment and then he you know, he has those red beams shining out of his eyes. I've always wondered like, was he just given powers there? So was he doing this on it, I mean, but I don't know if he was doing it on his own free will because they slime him at the end and he just goes yeah. back to normal, seemingly. So it's right. kind of weird. But that's what I'm kind of saying is it just doesn't really add up 100%, you know. Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, do you have any other theories on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I think he did, like you said, have, I, I guess, powers because he was the the babysitter who who swooped in as the ghost and, and took Oscar yeah. off, the, off the ledge, right? That was, that was him. Right. Um, so I, I think he did get uh, get powers, I guess you could say, after yeah. uh, Vigo sort of, I guess, possessed him. Yeah, it, it was just weird. Like, I uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it, it's fine, but I was just always like, you know, it was always that question to me of, uh, is he possessed in, in sort of the way that the Keymaster and Gatekeeper were possessed? But I don't think so because they were possessed by actual beings that just right. took over their whole, took over their whole conscience when they were possessed. But I don't know. It you know it really doesn't matter. I mean, you get what they're what they're going for there. But uh, you know, obviously, you have that new character of Janosch. Um, you also have uh, uh, Jack Hardemeyer, which is uh, played by Kurt Fuller. He's the uh, assistant to the mayor, who is now running for governor. Um, and then obviously this character is sort of your Walter Peck of this movie. He's there to, uh, you know, sort of keep the Ghostbusters away from the mayor. Because like I said, I'm going to assume, they never really talk about it, but the, I, I'm going to assume, and it's sort of implied, that the mayor probably caught some heat for the first movie because he approved the Ghostbusters to go up on top of that building and, you know, save the world. Um but, you know, they obviously did a lot of damage um, and were pretty much blamed for the whole thing. 
Right. And now that he's running for governor, I'm assuming because of PR issues, they just don't want the Ghostbusters to, you know, be be a part of any any part of what he's he's got going on. Uh, so you do have that character. Um, besides, I mean, obviously you have the character of Oscar, who's new. Uh, you know, he's obviously he's a babysitter, and uh, you know he plays a big part of, in the movie, though. Um, and then I think that's pretty much it in terms of uh, new characters that have any sort of meaningful screen time. Am I miss, am I missing anybody there? You know I don't of? believe so. I think you I think you covered it. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, obviously you have Vigo, who's played by uh, Wilhelm von Homburg, mm-hmm. um, who did the, uh, he did the likeness, and, you know, he, he played the face of Vigo, essentially, uh, but he was not the voice of Vigo. Now, you can go on YouTube and find these videos of him doing the voice initially, but if you listen to that, you can kind of see why he wasn't, uh, you know, initially... Uh, I mean, why he wasn't, uh, at the end of the day, why he wasn't the voice of Vigo, because his voice just didn't have that commanding sort of uh, deep tone to it, I, I think, that they, they wanted. So they went with Max uh, von uh, Sydow for that role mm-hmm. of the voice of Vigo. And actually, fun fact, uh, they did not tell you know the actor who played Vigo about that decision uh, until you know the premiere of the movie when he first saw it. So he he walked out. <laughs> he actually walked out of the premiere angry. Uh, so, I'm sure that would be a shock, though. <laughs> yeah, you, you think that you're the voice of a character, not just the face, but you think you're the voice, and now you find out in the actual premiere of the movie that you've been overdubbed uh, by somebody else. Uh, but I'll say, you know, having seen his performance through YouTube clips and obviously with, you know, Max von Sydow, I mean, his, his, the, his voice is so iconic and it's got that, you know, really deep uh, sort of demanding tone to it. And it worked really well. You know, uh, I like the character of Vigo. Now I have my issues with um, how this character was sort of treated in far as far as writing goes. Um, and, and I guess we can just get into that. Uh, you know, we spent some time on Gozer uh, last episode. We can spend some time on Vigo here. Now, I like the character of Vigo. I, I really do. And I know a lot of people have talked about being really scared of that character when they were a kid. Um, to me, I just always felt like his character at the end of the movie, it was, it was really uh, anticlimactic. Mm-hmm. Right. I just felt like putting them in that museum and just sort of it sort of felt like you sort of, you know, put the whole end of the movie and the whole big action stuff at the end in this vacuum. Right. And I realized you you sort of had that at the end of the first one. But that's sort of what I mean by that is I, I would have liked it a lot more if they would have made this character a little bit more of a threat and had, right. a, you know, leave the museum, walk the streets of New York, you know, do a little more. I mean, he doesn't even leave the painting, but for just a few, you know, just like two minutes. And it's, you know, he's not even in full form. He's sort of in this ghostly apparition form. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I, I've always felt like that was a missed opportunity with, with that character because it, it was a good character and it was, you know, the way they built him up and, you know, he was this, like dark magician or whatever. And, you know, he basically, they had to, I forget the, uh, you know, the exact list that, uh, uh, 
I think it's Egon reads off about what all they had to do to him just to kill him, you know. Uh, so they build the character up really well, but, you know, it just feels like at the end of the movie, when they defeat him, you're like, well, that was relatively easy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I it, it, it seemed like they did a lot more work just to get into the museum than they did killing the bad guy, you know, um, <laughs> with, you know, bringing the Statue of Liberty all the way out, uh, all the way up to the museum. I mean, it, you know, that, that seemed like that took a lot more work and a lot more time. Um, you know, how they sort of uh, uh, introduced the River of Slime and how that worked with the character of Vigo, I thought was pretty cool. I mean, because that way, to me, the slime wasn't just something that was there to sell toys or visual effects. It actually had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was I was cool with that. Uh, but again, you know, I just thought that I've just always thought that the character of Vigo could have been, you know, way better than he was. I mean, what, what do you think about that, Chad? What do you think about the character of Vigo? So I I agree with you. It, you know, um, definitely not Gozer. Uh, no, no, he's in a painting, right? So as far as the, the big bad at the end, the main villain, um, Sort of scary, kind of benign, not not really a threat. He did have powers, but it's not like he's going to destroy the world uh, because he has to rely uh, on other people to do so. Like you said, I did like the, the River of Slime and the way they did that in the old uh, pneumatic uh, train station, that line, the, the I guess the, the, the pre-subway uh, era down there. Uh, that was cool, especially when they travel down the line to go find the slime. Um, right, and that, that added and some uh, more horror elements into it, too, which was cool. It did. Uh, and, you know, I, I was thinking the, the first one was there There was some horror elements in it. And when I first think of Ghostbusters 2, I think, well, this was, you know, it didn't have that horror the first one did. But that, that sequence of events did, especially, you know, the voice speaking back to, to Winston. That was that was scary in the ghost train and uh, the the events that happened to him while they're in that train line. Uh, that that was uh, especially for a kid uh, when I was little. That, that was oh yeah, scary. the train used to terrify me as a kid. <laughs> yeah. It really did. Uh, the heads on the spikes. Uh, yeah, so that that did bring that that element of of horror to it. But yeah, I I just I didn't feel like uh, Vigo was quite the the threat, like you said, you, you summed it up well, not the threat that, uh, that Gozer was, of course, no. Gozer had to have the, the key master and the gatekeeper to be able to come through. Uh, so that, you know, Gozer did rely on that, but you know, Vigo's in a painting. So I, I just didn't feel like you said it was, I, I, I agree with you kind of anticlimactic, um, not quite the threat that, uh, that we had in the first movie with Gozer. Yeah. I've, I've always felt like, and I don't know where I got this idea. I mean, I think I just thought it up one day, but I've always felt like, man, if, if instead of the ending of the movie, you got, if it, if there could have been some way that Vigo, like, I don't know if you ride it up to where for a short amount of time near like new, the new year that he can leave the painting and he comes out of the painting and he's like, you just see him walking down the streets of New York and he's, you know, just terrorizing the town and, you know, just finding a way to include the city into the the threat of the movie. And that would make it distinctly different from the first movie, you know, right. like you have you actually have the the 
the bad guy walking the streets and the Ghostbusters have to find a way to defeat him uh, amongst people, you know, um, you know, and, and I, you know, like I said, I take Ghostbusters two for what it is, but I do think there was a missed opportunity uh, with that character. I mean, like I said, they wrote him, uh, they, they wrote him and built him up pretty cool and made it seem like it was, he's going to be awesome. And then towards the end of the movie, I don't know. I mean, like you just sort of felt like, okay, well, I mean, they defeated him, but felt like that was relatively easy to do. Now I know that he has the whole, you know, he possesses racing, which I've always found a little over the top. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, they sort of, uh, introduced that early on in the movie, but they cut most of it right where Ray gets possessed. You initially see Ray sort of getting in that trance, staring at the uh, at the painting, but uh, you know that's really all you get to lead up to it. So, you know, yeah, and <laughs> and and speaking of that, you know how he uh, exited the painting, he walked around um, at the end of the movie, and how he was able to possess Ray uh, at the end of the movie. It's like. I guess my thinking is, why didn't he just do that? Why did he need a child when he could have already done that? Uh, especially since he possessed Ray, why would you want to come into the world as a baby, uh, as an infant, when you can come in as a full-grown man if if you have an, uh, you know, an agenda? Some of that stuff, just uh, looking back at it now as an adult, didn't 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 really add up. But again, it, it is a movie, so I'll tell you the what I've always thought or why I've always thought he couldn't do that. Cause I, I've, I've sort of questioned the same thing you're questioning there. I've sort of always gotten the idea that he could only possess a child for some reason, because like when he possesses Ray, he doesn't become Vigo. He only like partially possesses him. And he's like, you know, he's very decrepit and old looking. So maybe there's some kind of rule that, you can only possess an adult for some limited amount of time or, you know, and if you do a child, maybe you can fully, uh, you know, sort of, uh, fully go into the child and, and possess it, fully possess it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But I, I, I'm literally just pulling that out of thin air. I don't know. There's, there's some real, uh, you know, uh, questions like you said there's some real questions yeah. behind that and uh <laughs> again i think it may have just been a matter of convenience i don't know you know i have no idea you know they they brought in her baby uh into this movie day the 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 uh, oscar the character of oscar mm -hmm. into this movie um and it seems like that was pretty much the sole purpose for it was to have this baby readily you know available there for uh the possessing um, but yeah, like I said, you know, I, I don't know what more could be said about it. I think it could have been, you know, more clim climactic, but you know, we got what we got now, you know, obviously, like I mentioned, Jason Reitman's talked about, you know, dipping more into that pool if they do more sequels, you know, I, he's right. sp specifically has mentioned, um, Vigo by name. So if he wants to go back into that and, you know, do something else with it or do something cool with it, then I'm all for it, uh, for it if it's cool. Um, all right. So we'll, let's talk about, let, let's, let's talk about the Ghostbusters, the, the, the four Ghostbusters here. So obviously I mentioned they start off the movie. They're, 
in different places. You know, like I said, Egon's back at the university. Uh, Ray has his bookshop. Winston and Ray are doing, you know, essentially children's birthday parties and stuff like that off to the side. And then Peter's a, a, a game show host, I guess, essentially. Um, what what are your thoughts, Chad? We'll start we'll start off with you. What what are your thoughts on them basically starting this movie where the Ghostbusters essentially have to start over, and and you sort of see into what what they're doing now as opposed to still being the Ghostbusters, maybe as you would have thought they would have been after the first one. What what are your sort of what what are your thoughts on that? I I think uh, each one um, fits. You know how Egon is is back at the university, uh, like you said, and and the the show of uh, of Venkman uh, that definitely fits his uh, his character <laughs> that that type of show. Oh, it's um, one of the funniest sequences of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and then the the bookshop uh, of Ray, right? Um, I am surprised that they didn't. Um, they all weren't back at university like uh, like Egon was, because that's where they started out, right? Uh, they were all uh, professors and working at, at the university, but I think it does make sense. Uh, now with, with Winston, like you said, did it, did it, if it ever uh, mentioned what he was doing, of course he was still going around with Ray as a ghostbuster, but you know, they were not making that much money uh, doing that. Uh, so I, I think it makes sense for all of them. That one was a little fuzzy on me with Winston, but uh, they're different professions after the ghostbusters uh really fits their characters um of course I, I i agree with you how everybody just seems to forget uh what the events of the first ghostbusters and how they uh <clears throat> how how their popularity goes down and the business goes downhill and everything just quiets down um you would think you know like you said there was many people who saw that uh and they just became uh more uh I guess jokes uh, in the second one, people didn't believe them. They thought it was a hoax, things like that. And it was more reduced down to doing kids parties. And even at the kids party, uh, the kids didn't really want him. They wanted He-Man. <laughs> and the and the one kid uh, said that his dad said they were full of crap. So nobody <laughs> believed him, which uh, you may have mentioned this already, that the kid who mentioned that was uh, Jason Reitman. Yep. Uh, the new director of uh, Ghostbusters uh, Afterlife and Ivan Reitman's son, which both of his kids were in the movie. That right. was his son. And then his daughter was uh, the the little girl in Egon's test playing with the, the puppy. Right. Um, just a little plug for, for both, of, uh, both of the kids there. But uh, yeah, it, a little hard to believe that, that everybody just completely forgot about it. Uh, but I mean, it, it seemed to work. So, yeah, uh, and part of me has always thought that, it, you know, at first glance, sort of looking at it, like I mentioned with the judge in the courtroom, you're like, well, how do y'all not believe that? But also, when you think about it, I mean, this all happened in one city. Mm -hmm. uh, it's It happened in the 80s. So obviously, you know, cell phones and the, the availability of video cameras are not uh, are not as big. And, uh, so I guess, you know, and, and, you know, we as human beings, I guess we do have a tendency to not want to believe in things just because it's not, you know, if it's so radically different from what we have been believing, 
mm-hmm. you know, we, we tend to want to just turn, uh, turn the other direction and, you know, uh, continue on with our normal lives. So I guess, I guess it is, you know, it could be semi believable for me. It's always been the marshmallow man really though. That's like, you know, you can't deny that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, that's there, you know, that, that thing was there and it was real and it was all over the streets of New York. I mean, you know, you can't really deny that, but you know, I guess in the real world, some people would. So there is that suspension of, of disbelief. But um, I guess, so, so my thinking is that first movie was so perfectly written. Yeah. That there was not one instance that, you know, that I, I think, you know, well, why didn't they do this or why, you know, I, I don't know if I believe that, you know, other than, you know, the ghost things, things like that, but why didn't they do this? Or, you know, you have to suspend belief and, uh, well, it's a movie, just go with it. Where this one, you know, a lot of things didn't really add up and it's like, well, you, they created all this technology. Why didn't they sell it? <laughs> they yeah. cre- created particle accelerators, portable. Uh, why didn't they do that? Or, you know, uh, Dana was a, a, you know, a professional musician in a, a symphony. And all of a sudden now she's just working in a, in a, in a museum cleaning uh, and restoring art. I mean, I'm no expert, but I don't know if they just let folks come in with no experience do that. Is it a lot of things like that? I know it fits the story, but I don't feel like as much attention was uh, paid uh, in in writing this one as was the first one. That every minute detail in the first one was very carefully thought out and written out. You know, every detail of the equipment of the Ecto One, uh, everything was so perfectly written and flowed together so well. But this one. I didn't feel like um, had that same amount of uh, attention to detail in it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. This movie was like, you know, like we mentioned, you know, the first one was an original idea and it was, you know, and that's sort of what you get with, you know, uh, the first uh, installment of a franchise, but you know, even obviously before it's a franchise, like with Ghostbusters, you know, you're not, you're not planning out sequels. You just wrote an original story. And then, when the second one rolls around, you're, you're trying to play off of that first one. So, uh, you know, you're not, you're not coming into it with, uh, you know, most of the time you're not coming into it with as good of ideas or as original of ideas as you were the first one. I mean, you look at something like, like home alone too, right? Like, you know, like the, like home alone too is almost beat for beat the original home alone just in New York city. So you get, you get movies like that where, and I don't think this one is to that level of, you know, bad as far as like copying and pasting. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, definitely there, there are things to question. Um, there are things that were obviously moved, you know, moved around here, moved around there just to sort of, uh, you know, fill, fill in some, uh, you know, fill some runtime essentially. Um, and, and there are some things to question. And, you know, when you, t- when you're talking about, you know, a movie like Ghostbusters, you know, even looking at Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, the two sequels we've gotten so far to the original movie, um, they're sort of coming at it from a place of we want to start off 
almost like where the original movie start off, where there is no Ghostbusters and we have to really get back into it, right? Mm-hmm. There's not been a movie where it's been like, okay, there's a stab, there's an established franchise and everybody believes in Ghostbusters and we're starting from that spot. You know, it's always been, there are no Ghostbusters when the movie starts and we're sort of either creating them or recreating them, you know, mm-hmm. getting them back. Um, so Which the same happens in afterlife too, right? Right. And that, that's what I'm saying is you're, and, and I think, um, uh, moving out to Oklahoma in that movie, it partly helped with that. Right. Because now mm-hmm. that, that all happened in New York 30 years ago. Now you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's 30 years later. So you can start from that fresh place. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Right. And, and, and they did that in ghostbusters too, as well. Now, obviously, Ghostbusters 2 was a little bit more fresh because it was only five years later and it was still in New York. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely with these sequels, there's definitely a thing of uh, we almost want you to forget <laughs> that some of those things that happen happen so you can suspend your your they're asking you to uh they're asking you, I guess, to suspend your belief, uh, pretty, pretty hardcore in Ghostbusters <laughs> too. Like, like you say, you know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there, there is, there's good points there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned the character of Jadine and how different she is, you know, in the, in the first Ghostbusters, you know, Janine was very much going after Egon, right? Mm-hmm. And you had those scenes where she was like, really flirting with him trying to you know really trying to uh you know almost i guess just start a relationship with him i feel like they yeah they took that with her in this movie and turned it up to 10 that side of her but with uh lewis tully and it is kind of odd that like there's no you know it seems i guess she just gave up on egon at this point um in, in terms of a relationship although in afterlife you know there is I don't know that they were in a relationship, but she was obviously his caretaker or, you know, towards the end of his life. Um, but yeah, if, like you said, it felt like they turned up the levels on some things with her character. They, they made her, uh, you know, uh, you know, her, her, the way she dressed was different. Her hair right. was different. Um, it's not so much, I guess that the character, uh, and was, a lot different, but they like, they just turned it up. They turned everything up on her. And like you said, that was to reflect, uh, the animated series. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within the real ghostbusters, Janine is one of the favorite characters by the fans on the real ghostbusters. So I guess they wanted to bring that into the theatrical movies. Um, but it is different. Um, and you have that whole subplot with her and, and, and Lewis, obviously. Um, now the actual ghost busting in this movie, I've always actually really, really liked the, the, the ghost busting in this movie. Now you have to take into account that there's not, uh, I guess a ton more of it than there is in the first movie, but there is, there is, I guess some more to it. Uh, that we actually see, you know, in the first in the first movie, we get the montage scene, but we don't actually see them catching ghosts really in the montage. Right. We just see them. We see them getting popular. Right. And in this mm-hmm. one, you actually get some cool shots of, you know, the one the one I've always loved or the, the, the two that I've always loved in the montage were the the jogger 
and you know they they plant the trap in the ground and basically ray gives peter the signal to trap him which i thought was pretty cool and then you have the uh the jewelry store where they have to rig up you know these traps you know they obviously can't just start blasting off a proton pack in the store um but there's some cool stuff to that um and then you have the courtroom scene with the Scalari brothers, which I've always liked. I thought that was a cool scene, um, you know, just to see them get, getting back into action. I've always wondered, though, <laughs> and this is something we, we really didn't talk about last week. You know, Winston's there in the courtroom <laughs> at the yeah. beginning of the scene. Where did he go? <laughs> when the ghosts come out, it's almost as though Winston fled with the with the crowd. You know, um, I don't know. I've, just, I've always thought that was pretty odd. I, I think I've read where like in the comics or something expands on that. And it said that he was only there for the beginning of the trial and he had to leave for some reason. But I don't know. I've just always thought that was, you know, kind of odd. But I, I do like that scene. I think it's cool how it sets up where, you know, the, the slime is, um, reacts to, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, people's, I guess, mood, uh, cause you know, Peter calls it mood slime, you know, kind of jokingly, right. um, it reacts to emotional states, um, and how people react to things. Um, so that's how the, you know, the Scalari brothers sort of get, um, created out of the the judge going crazy on the ghostbusters there towards the end um and i and i've always thought that was pretty cool and then like you said you you get some more shots or some more scenes of uh uh them investigating things like the river of slime or investigating uh you know the 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 photographs they took of vigo um and you get the the toaster scene where they're you know sort of investigating how the slime works um and then you get the the scenes with them in the museum, so there is some more like ghost busting. I feel like in this one, which which I've always thought was pretty cool, and that was a good way to build off of the first one, where you actually get to see them, uh, you know, do their work a little more than maybe you did in the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, now I know that um, Bill Murray specifically has always took issue with that. I, the, you know, and I don't know that I fully agree with sort of the the, the stance that he takes on it, um, where he basically says there wasn't enough, you know, character relationship development and there was too many special effects, uh, which is what he says. Um, and I don't know that I fully agree with that. I mean, you know, he and Dana take up a large part of this movie. He doesn't spend as much time with the original Ghostbusters, um, you know, I don't know if that was by choice or if that was written that way, but, um, you know, as far as the ghost busting goes in this movie, I've always felt like that part was pretty well done. Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think about that? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I agree. And like you said, uh, Peter Bankman, he, he, he's kind of separate from the other three. Um, he, you know, it, it it's the, a lot of the movie spends, uh, spends time, redeveloping that relationship between uh between he and dana and uh rekindling that especially you know when the three go down in the into the 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 train tunnel to find the the river of slime and and he goes off to uh to dinner with dana so i don't know if that was uh originally part in the you know part of the the script or if that was just um bill murray didn't want to be covered in slime 
because <laughs> you know he he did not like uh, the slime. He didn't like the heavy proton pack. There's a lot about Ghostbusters. I, I don't think uh, that he really liked. Right. You, you know, when they go to the museum, he, you know, you see him. He's the only one in street clothes. Yeah. You know, that that you can <laughs> that just screams that was his choice kind of thing. You know. Well, if you recall in in the first Ghostbusters, uh, after they defeat Gozer, uh, all three of them are covered in uh, marshmallow, except he has a very tiny amount on him. (laughs) How he avoided that and the other three are literally head to toe covered in marshmallow, but he escaped it. Uh, It it makes you wonder if that was just his, uh, him, him objecting to it. Yeah, for sure. But th- that's okay with me because that makes for some comedy. It's, yeah. it's comedic how you know little he has on him <laughs> compared <laughs> compared to everybody else. No, I I, I agree. Uh, so yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Um, just that there there was some differences there. Uh, how you know how his role in the movie and his his path throughout that movie versus the other three. Yeah, and you know, like you mentioned, rebuilding that relationship with with uh, him and Dana, uh, which I've always thought was, you know, is a little odd. I mean, I know it's been five years, um, but that seems awful quick to to break up, get married, have a child, get a divorce, and then get back with Peter. <laughs> you know, like five years, it's not a very large large amount of time for all of that to take place. But again, you know, they're asking us uh, to, you know, suspend our our belief here, but um, yeah, the, the, and and listen, in the first movie, the relationship between Peter and Dana was a big part of the story. It was, it worked well. And in this movie, I felt like it worked pretty well too. I mean, he, he's the same Peter, you know, and she's, the same kind of character, except for now she's a mother Hmm. and, you know, he has a a good relationship with Oscar and, you know, it, 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 they really capture that pretty well again. And it obviously, uh, whereas in the first movie, you know, she becomes the, the gatekeeper and that sort of makes the stakes higher where, where in this one, it's her son that is being uh, taken by Vigo to try and be possessed. So obviously you're, you're creating those same kind of states. Um, so you, you see what they were trying to do there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do like the, the actual, you know, ghost busting um, and how, you know, how they leaned into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and, and so I think that that part was pretty well done. And, and that for a, a big part of why I do enjoy this movie at the end of the day, I feel like that's a big part of it is that, um, you know, they still uh, relied on, you know, ghost busting and, and showing us the, the cooler parts of that. Uh, you know what? This is on down the list, but let's just go ahead and jump into it while we're talking about ghosts and ghost busting. Uh, so Slimer in this movie, let's talk about Slimer. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Slimer was in this movie. <laughs> I'll just well, tell you that. I, right I, I tell you what I, what my, my uh, guess is it again, it's another holdover from, Oh yeah. Uh, from the real Ghostbusters. Cause yeah. he was, he was sort of the mascot and I don't want to say pet 
uh, around the the firehouse in real Ghostbusters, but sorta, you know, he was uh, he was the mascot around the the firehouse, and I think to a lesser degree, uh, that's what he is here, right? He doesn't show up a whole lot, but uh, I think that's his role in this. Yeah, I mean, I was sort of being a, a you know a little little bit of a smart aleck. I, I do get why he's in it like i right. you know, like, yeah. like like you said the the real ghostbusters and you know listen i love the real ghostbusters and slimer's a big part of that but in this movie it's like i don't know like it he doesn't interact with the ghostbusters right at all i think i don't think he has any scenes with the actual ghostbusters it's just uh basically lewis both yeah. times, right? I, I I know the scene where he's eating the lunch and the scene where he's driving the bus. Is he in it any more than that? I don't think so. Uh, not that I'm aware. I know he's in a deleted scene where uh, Lewis is trying to actually capture him. You know, he's quote-unquote training to be a Ghostbuster and he's going to try mm-hmm. to capture Slimer in the firehouse. Um, I, you know, I really don't have a huge problem with it. You know, it, it is goofy. My only thing with it is, and I've never heard anybody talk about this, but you know what? I'm going to be the first. Why does he look so much different in this movie? <laughs> have you ever noticed that? He's like three times the size uh, of what he was in the original movie. Have you? Yeah. I mean, have you ever noticed that? Like, he's huge, and he looks... Uh, almost frightening in this movie the way that his the the i guess he was a you know a puppet like he was in the first movie essentially but he he looks a little different not not like totally different but he's huge and i don't know i if they could have found a way to use him within the story at least a little bit maybe it you know it would have worked for me a little better yeah uh it, it doesn't like you know it doesn't ruin the movie for me or anything but I've always thought it was a little odd that he's just there in a couple of scenes. And my biggest uh, issue with that is, is like they have ghost busting equipment, like the PKE meters. How in the world are those things working in the ghost house, in the, in the, uh, the firehouse when Slimer's just floating around freely, you would think that thing would be going off all the time. you know. Well, you know, it, but now that I think about it, what is the reason he's there? Uh, because they had a lot more activity in the city because of the, the slime, right? That's when all this activity started popping up. Right. So is he a result of that, or has he always been there? Well, I've, I've always sort of assumed, because at the very end of the original movie, you see Slimer fly into the screen, and that's how the movie ends. Mm-hmm. So the uh, insinuation was that he didn't get pulled back in the portal with all the other ghosts when, when they uh, sent Gozer back. It was like, you know he sort of escaped that somehow. So he's still, I mean, obviously, you know, like you said, in the real Ghostbusters, it explains this, that he, uh, you know, he, he lives in the firehouse and they essentially kept him around to be a a sort of a mascot. Um, but it was just, I don't know, you know, and it's hard for me because I do like the real Ghostbusters, but in this movie, it's just odd, you know, it's, when you see him there, it's just for almost a, a joke a couple of times. And then, you know, but yeah. whatever, it's not a big deal. I've just, I, I wanted to make it a point to bring that up. Um, all right. So let's touch on, uh, 
let's touch on the uh, the soundtrack for this movie. I know that's a big point of uh, that's a big talking point for you, mm. and I'll just let you kick us off with that. So the the first movie, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong here. Um, the first movie I felt like was more score heavy. Uh, you know, all the different uh, pieces of music. There were, uh, you know, pop songs in there, and I think the, the 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 songs that were selected for the first Ghostbusters were were great. Uh, you know, you when you hear that, or at least the sections that were played in the movie, you know exactly what that's from. And I think the same goes for the score. Uh, you know, you could hear the first two seconds uh, or first second of some of those uh, pieces, like the piano, and you know exactly what it is and they proved that in the you know some of the trailers for the for afterlife because all it was was those couple of piano notes and you knew what that was from you knew what they were fixing the show this is going to be ghostbusters uh a lot of the the score in the first one um it was so well written and so uh i guess iconic and uh you know ties you to ghostbusters ties you to new york and uh that scene Whereas Ghostbusters 2, uh, I know there's a score, but what I remember most from the movie is not the score, but a lot of, uh, you know, the more of the pop songs. And it was definitely that late 80s, early 90s feel, you know, with uh, with the R&B and, uh, you know, Bobby Brown. Uh, he did a song uh, in the, for the movie as well as acted in the movie. You know, he was the, uh, the doorman. Um, uh, when the Ghostbusters are going in, I believe to see the mayor. Yeah. Um, so what what I remember music wise from from Ghostbusters two was more of the the pop music and the you know the that era of music of the R and B and uh, they had you know the the song at the end uh, they were playing when um, uh, the Statue of Liberty was walking down the street. So I feel like that movie was more uh, focused on own song uh, I'll say versus the first movie uh, there was a lot more score which me personally I prefer the score that's to me that's uh, more iconic and, and ties uh, to the movie and um, where even though the songs uh, you know at least the Bobby Brown song was written for Ghostbusters 2 that to me didn't really stand the test of time yeah, um, so I like the soundtrack to the original Ghostbusters better. Not the, well, the score too, but the soundtrack specifically I'm talking about here. In, um, in this movie, so the songs that stand out to me, there's uh, Flip City by, by Glenn Fry when the you get the ghost montage at the very end when you know the the slime is breaking free and covering the museum and you get you know all the ghosts and the woman with the the fur coat going crazy and the the titanic and you and, and I've always loved that song and that sequence there I thought that that uh it again it's sort of playing off of what the original movie did when the when the containment unit uh, blew up, but um, I've liked that. I do like the higher and higher. Um, now the the version of it at the end with the Statue of Liberty is not um, 
Jackie Wilson. They play that version when the toaster dances, the Jackie Wilson version. The second version is a cover. It's more 80s. Uh, right. It's a little bit more 80s. But I, I've always enjoyed that for what it was. Um, and I have to say, and this is where me and you will probably disagree with a little bit, I do like the On Our Own by Bobby Brown. But mm. the only reason I like that is because, it, for me, that has become just as synonymous with Ghostbusters as any of the songs from the first one, for me. Mm. Um, and I, I don't really know how to explain that. It's just always been, when I think of Ghostbusters and the music in Ghostbusters, I think of that one. Now, the one I don't care for is the remix of the theme song with Run DMC. Right. Um, that to me, and, and I get that they didn't want to just do a complete rehash and play the theme song, uh, the Ray Parker Jr. theme song. I mean, I can I can understand that if you didn't want to completely rip off of what the first one did with the montage. But I, I've never cared for that one as much. And then there's some other stuff in the movie. I think there's another Bobby Brown song in the movie as well uh, that I, I, I didn't care for. And like you said, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very much of its time. Um, you know, the, the Bobby Brown, uh, you know, sort of era of hip hop is something that is now is, is dated and it doesn't have the same effect. I think that it did when it came out. Um, now the score for this movie by uh, Randy Edelman, as I said last week, you know, I own it on vinyl. It is a, it's a very good score. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let me ask you this. So listening to that score, because you and I have mm-hmm. talked about you listen to score and you say when you did uh, uh, get the score and you listen to it and it was a lot of good music. Yeah. And I, I don't disagree, but listening to that score uh, on, on record, do you remember those tunes in the movie when you watched it? Every... I think there are maybe two tracks on the vinyl and it, it'll, it says this in the liner notes, so you don't have to, you know, guess it'll tell you on the, on the actual vinyl. Uh, there are a couple of songs that were written specifically for the, the soundtrack release that are not in the movie. Other than that, the, everything's in the movie. The problem is, is that they're not in the movie in their entirety. Mm-hmm. They cut part of them out. Um, and, uh, you know, watching this movie, I, there is a lot of score in it, but the thing, I think the thing that really makes it different is that the score doesn't actively try to stand out as much as the original one did. Mm-hmm. So in, in the, in the Bernstein score, the score was very much, uh, weaving and flowing with the scenes. Right. Whereas, in Randy Edelman's score, it's a little bit more of just background music mm-hmm. a lot of times. And I think that's where the real difference is now. And I'll say this because I don't think you can just go look up Randy Edelman's score and listen to it. This vinyl re- release of it, if I'm correct, is the only way you can listen to that score. Uh, if you bought the vinyl, uh, I don't think it's on CD, but I, I know it's on vinyl. Obviously, if you listen to the score on vinyl, it's a very good score. It's a very good score. Like I, I, when I first listened to it, I was like, man, like this is so much better than I was assumed it was going to be. Now 
it's not the original score. It's not. It doesn't compare to Elmer Bernstein's score, and it doesn't compare to the Afterlife score. Those are both, you know, great scores. Right. But this one, it, it's just different. Um, I really don't know what to compare it to. Like I said last week, it's got a little bit more epicness to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more, you can hear more of like uh, hero themes to it, mm-hmm. especially, and you hear those in the movie towards the end of the movie, especially. Um, you get some more of like the love thing. So like in the, in the first uh, score, the, the Bernstein score, you get like Dana's theme, which is almost more of like a love theme. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, you get more of that kind of stuff. Um, so like I said, it just, it doesn't have the same feel of the original score, but it's still a good score in its own right. But kind of like you mentioned, and kind of like I was saying, it's not as prominent within the, the movie as the Bernstein score was in the original movie. And that's really what makes it different. You know, right. that's what, that's what separates the two quite a bit. Um, so yeah. There's there's stuff I like in the as far as soundtrack. There's stuff I don't like, and there's you know stuff in the score I, I like. So to me, uh, it's one of those instances where it doesn't. Uh, it's not what I would consider to be like a ten out of ten, like the original was. This one's more for me, and like that, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I hate these star ratings are 10 out of 10s, but I would say this one's somewhere in like the six range. Maybe it's, it's a significant drop from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the, the score soundtrack, um, we covered that. Um, is there anything specifically, uh, when you think about Ghostbusters too, I mean, obviously we've both seen it, uh, a million times. I mean, is there anything, uh, that specifically sticks out to you in this movie that, uh, is worth discussing that we haven't touched on. Um, no, I think we covered it uh, pretty well. Um, you know, from the well, one thing I will say, um, the special effects, and mm-hmm. I you touched a little bit on this earlier, but uh, you know, the original movie, um, special effects were great. There were, uh, you know like maybe one scene uh, out of the entire movie that it was like, oh uh, yeah, it, this could have been done better. And that was when uh, the terror dog ran out of the, the hotel chasing after uh, Lewis Tully, right? You could definitely tell that was, uh, that was dated. And I think the, yeah, right. Sure. And I think the, the, the effects folks at the, you know, that that did the effects movie, I don't think they were happy with that end result either. I think it was a time issue. I think you explained that in the, in the last time we talked in the last episode. Um, Yeah. And by the way, while you're on that for anybody who hasn't, if you're a Ghostbusters fan, you should watch the cleaning up the town documentary. It goes, it goes into all that stuff and it's pretty, I mean, it's really fascinating to watch how they constructed that movie. So, in Ghostbusters two, there was there was a few um, spe- the special effects were good, uh, but there was a couple of scenes that was um, you know you could definitely tell it it could have been done better. And for me, the first one was when Vigo, uh, you know, when before anybody knows uh, what he is, his head protrudes out of the paint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you can definitely tell looking at it now. 
that that was not the best special effects. And then yeah, the second and, uh, one, when while you're touching music- on this, mm-hmm. uh, uh, something I want to mention that I've read, uh, this movie actually, you we're, we're using the word special effects. The original movie only used really practical effects. This mm-hmm. movie was one of the first to use actual, actual special effects. What, what is the equivalent to like CGI? So that I think some of that's sort of what you're touching on. And and I think you could definitely tell it with that scene. Uh that technology was was still um uh was still young and, and being developed. Uh and then the second scene for me was when the museum was covered in slime and that slime mm-hmm. shell and it was a uh you know a a wide shot of the entire um uh museum with the the shell or the, the slime covering, you could definitely tell uh, that, that that probably could have done, been done a little bit better. Uh, you know, given the time that the movie was made and the, the effects that they had at hand, maybe not, but uh, that both of those scenes kind of broke immersion uh, for me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's good points. Uh, uh, that's something we really didn't touch on too much is the, the effects. Um yeah, like you said in the first movie, there's there's a not a lot that uh, there's not a lot in it that uh, doesn't hold up. I mean, it's essentially like you said, just the terror dog. Um, and, and yeah, in this movie, there's some bad stuff. I do want to mention something I didn't talk about much. Uh, a couple of things that I loved in, in this movie, as far as effects wise, and I was thinking about this the other day. Um, like the ghost train and the Titanic. Hmm. I love the way those effects look. And the, in the first movie utilized that sort of effect too, uh, with, uh, but you see it more with like the librarian ghost where it's like this apparition, you know, and it, you can tell it. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. I, I don't know how they pulled all that off, but it just looks cool. It's got this, um, sort of classic, you know, effect, uh, to it. Uh, that's, that's really cool. Um, but yeah, you know, like you were mentioning, uh, I do always uh, think about, uh, you know, when Vigo's head pops out of the, the, the painting, that's, you know, you can, that's dated, you know, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. or, uh, yeah, the shell over the museum, which I've, I've even heard Ivan Reitman talk specifically about that one too, that he, he didn't like that effect. Um, but, um, there was a lot more to, um, it seemed like they set themselves up to, to screw up a little bit more in this movie because they did use, you know, more effect shots, mm-hmm. which again is a big reason why Bill Murray doesn't like this movie. <laughs> He's always said they, <laughs> they, they spent too much time on the effects and not enough time on the characters. Um, another one too, is the, uh, the lady with the fur coat that comes alive. I've always thought, I've always thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, the way they did that, and and that was actually supposed to be in the original movie, but uh, they didn't put it in, so they decided to put it in this movie. But that was really well done. Um, and again, that that to me is what elevates it a little bit more, and, and you don't dip into that. Uh, it's it's just for kids, you know, kind of area. Uh, there 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 are still some elements of uh, of horror uh, to this movie, uh, stuff like that. So at least it doesn't, you know, it doesn't go purely for kids uh, in this movie. So that helps too. 
Um, so yeah, the, the special effects. We didn't talk a lot about uh, like the cinematography or anything for this movie, but it's not. I feel like it's not that different from the original one. I mean, do you would would you agree with that? Uh, to me, it, it is a little bit different. I think the lighting, um, I think the way they shot the movie. Um, to me, there's areas where there there are differences. Um, uh, again, I like the the original better. And I'm going to say that about most things. Oh yeah, uh, between yeah. the two, I you know just the 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 way they they would light different scenes or shoot different scenes. Um, to me, I, I did I, I can tell a difference between the two. Um, yeah, it's sort of uh, it's kind of weird because in the '80s, there's like the beginning of the '80s, like the first four or five years. And then if, if you watch something from that uh, era and then you watch something from the mid to late 80s, you can tell that there is a definite change yes. in the way movies look. And I don't know what that is. I don't know enough about filmmaking to know what that difference is. But the, the late 80s movies seem to look a lot cleaner yeah. than, than the, the first ones do. And, I, and again, I don't know what that is. But, uh, yeah, there is something to that, like you mentioned. I, again, exactly what you said. I think it's cleaner. I think it's brighter. Uh, a lot of the scenes in the original Ghostbusters, uh, at least for the lighting, was was darker um, and not not as clean. But I think that's what, to me, that's what adds to the movie. Uh, definitely the nostalgia. Yeah, and you know, again, it's it's the original. You know, the the first one is the original one, and this is is the sequel. So. You know, you're just going to, everybody's going to have that little bit of love more towards the original, and, and rightly so in this case. It, it's definitely a much better uh, uh, movie. For me, um, you know, the the biggest reason why I can watch this movie and enjoy it uh, are those original characters being back. And the fact that now, you know, looking back all these years later, knowing that that, you know, Besides the video game, that's the only two instances where you get those characters together. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you get them in in game, but obviously it's it's a little different. Um, I mean, not in game. I'm sorry, I've, I've been in Marvel mode here. Afterlife, excuse me. Uh, I know you get them in uh, in, in Afterlife, uh, but it, it is different. Um, so you know, there is a charm to this movie. I guess I could say for me, a, a little bit of a charm. Uh, and, you know, especially, like I said, all these years later, I can watch it and enjoy what I enjoy out of it. And I know that, uh, I, I do know this from being a part of the, the Ghostbusters community. This is, Ghostbusters fans love Ghostbusters too. Uh, this is not, this is not one of those things where uh, everybody loves the original, hates the sequel. Uh, everybody loves the second one. So, there is that to consider, I guess. I, I know that people who are not Ghostbusters fans, uh, you know, typically sort of don't like this movie at all. You know, if you go, if you go start watching some YouTube reviews of this movie, you're going to hear some pretty bad stuff. Right. There's a lot of people out there that really don't like this movie and, and consider it to be uh, a terrible movie, which, you know, when you're listening to uh, us, uh, specifically me, I think you have to consider... Uh, you're listening to a, a, a Ghostbusters fan. So mm-hmm. you have to take that into account too. Um, I'm not going to attempt to, uh, you know, give this movie a rating or anything. You know, like like I said, last week I, I gave 
Ghostbusters rating simply because it's one of those few movies to me that's a 10 out of a 10, so it's easy to rate. Uh, and I'm not really going to do that for this one. Uh, like I said, I enjoy it for what it is. Um, you know, you and I have watched it together uh, several times, so I, you know, I know sort of your feelings on it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else specifically this movie before we wrap it up uh, that you uh, want to touch on, or do you think we've about covered every bit of it? I, I think we've covered it, um, and I, and I'll, I'll end it with this: it, it, the best way I can think to sum sum it up it's a ghostbusters movie i'll always uh like it of course like you said it's got all four uh original ghostbusters so it's going to be great i guess my the the thinking i have is adult me doesn't like it as much as 10 year old me yeah whereas the original ghostbusters adult me likes it just as much if not more than you know, young me. Yeah. That's a good way to sum it up. I think, um, uh, you know, uh, some, some of these movies like this don't age with us as well, uh, as, as others do. Uh, and that's, you know, that's part of it. Um, so that's ghostbusters too, guys, this is going to wrap up ghostbusters for us for now. Hopefully, you know, we'll have future installments to talk about. Uh, like I said, uh, we're not going to do an episode on the remake. I just don't think there's any point on it uh, or, you know, point in doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Chad, I know you haven't talked about it. Give, give the people your just quick thoughts on that movie so we can, I guess we can be completionists here. Uh, <laughs> on the 2016? Yeah, yeah. Just give, I, I sort of gave my thoughts on, you know, when I did Afterlight, the, the first episode. Just, you know, I don't want to speak for you, so give your thoughts and then we, we, can, we can put that one to bed. Obviously, there's a lot of negative uh, reviews on that movie. I think it got the worst, the trailer got the worst rating in YouTube history. Um, my thoughts on it, I've, I've watched it, of, of course. Um, I like the, the actors and actresses in the movie. Uh, you know, other things they've done, I think they've done well. Uh, my thinking on this is, so the way they did this movie is a lot of improvisation. Basically, um, Paul Feig came up with, uh, and I heard him say this, he came up, uh, with a premise and then they just turn total control over to the, to the actresses and actors and let them improvise like 95% of this movie. I do like that style of movie. You know, the Adam McKay style movies, Will Ferrell, uh, a lot of the improvisation, uh, you know, joke movies. I, I enjoy those movies, but for a new Ghostbusters movie for folks that have been waiting, you know, 30 plus years, you know, for, for a new Ghostbusters movie to come out. And then that's the way it was done. I think even though I like those style of movies, it was inappropriate for that movie, for a Ghostbusters movie to come out. I don't think it should have been done that way. It should have been more structured, more attention paid to, to story. Um, it was too many jokes. You know, they, this was, that movie was definitely, a. Uh, they were meaning that to be a comedy, obviously, where the original Ghostbusters was, you know, not really written as a comedy. It was, it had comedians in it, but it wasn't written as a comedy. Uh, 
So that that's my thinking. I, I do like that style of movie, but you know, not for a, a, a Ghostbusters that we're finally getting to see after waiting so long and ever and all of the fans wanting to finally get a Ghostbusters, and then that's what we get. Um, so yeah, I think that that left a, a lot of negative uh, feelings in a lot of people. Um, to me, I, I don't think. You know, I, I know a lot of things have been said uh, by folks. You know, if, if you don't like the movie, you feel this way. You think that I, to me, that's not the case. It's, it was the way the movie was done. And to me, uh, I lay every bit of that at the director's feet, Paul Fig. I think he did a complete disservice to the fans. Well, I want to add something to what you said. Uh, you said that kind of movie was not what we wanted for a property that had been, you know, there hadn't been a, a, a sequel for a long time, that kind of that type of comedy. And I want to expand on that a little bit. I don't think we needed a remake at all. I, I don't think, I don't think any movie really needs a remake. I'm, I'm sort of against the idea of them. Listen, I get that some properties can be, remade and done well if the first one is maybe not as beloved and and you know there's a writer or director out there that uh thinks that they can take uh you know a story and really do it justice um this wasn't the case they i I felt like in my opinion and i don't want to speak for you and i don't want to speak for anybody else this to me felt like hey we've got ghostbusters Let's take that property and make a lot of money off of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what this movie felt like for me. It felt like a cash grab with no heart or soul to it. Um, and I and and I made this clear in in my when I talked about this movie uh, in my my first review of Afterlife, and I'll make it clear again here. I gave this movie just as fair of a chance as I've ever given any other movie I've ever watched when I went and sat in that theater. I had my reservations about this movie. The trailers did not look particularly uh, good to me, but I've seen movie, I've seen trailers that didn't look good, and then the movie turned out to be good before. So I went in, I sat down in that theater with a one hundred percent open mind, uh, you know, and and you know, it, it just wasn't for me. I even though it was a remake, and I didn't really think we needed a remake, I still gave it a chance, you know, and I and I cheered for this movie. You know, I, and I'll, I'll say that openly. I cheered for it to do, uh, to be good, but I just didn't think it was very good. And, yeah. you know, like I said, it doesn't really matter now. The movie, uh, you know, it flopped and, and it, it, you know, sort of uh, adding on to what you, you said there, and I, and I covered this a little bit too. I know that this movie is steeped in controversy and it's pretty much put Ghostbusters, uh, you know, into the file of just another franchise that's controversial. The fact that the, these new Ghostbusters in that movie were women had absolutely nothing to do with my dislike of the movie. It didn't. No, absolutely not me either. Like you mentioned, I've seen Kristen Wiig be funny lots of times. Listen, when she was on SNL, she was just as strong 
of an actor on that show as anybody else was who was on the show at the same time as her. She was funny. Mm-hmm. I've seen Melissa McCarthy being funny stuff. I've seen Kate McKinnon, Kate McKinnon, who, you know, I've seen her do some stuff that's not as good, but um, she on Saturday Night Live, some in some of the stuff I've seen, I don't really watch the show anymore, but in some of the skits I've seen, she's funny. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Leslie Jones do some some funny stuff on SNL, and and most importantly, I liked Paul Feig, and and you know I don't I don't want to say liked you know I I, I like some of his work uh, you know specifically with The Office yeah I think he did some great stuff on that show and he's done some pretty good movies so really if anything you know that really helped me give this movie such a good chance going in but. Um, I just, I feel like it, you know, listen, I I think that these actresses, like you mentioned, I think they were done a disservice with the script, with the story. Or Um, lack of script. uh, Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. This, I just thought the movie didn't look very good. Um, I've said this before, and some people may understand it and some may not. This movie kind of, it just looked to me like it was produced by Nickelodeon, like with, with, <laughs> yeah. the, with the special effects. Yeah. Like they just don't, I don't know, they just don't look very good, um, you know, and, and the villain, and that may be the worst part of the movie for me. The villain was just bad. Yeah. I mean, you go from the original movie, you you have a literal god in Gozer, and this is just a guy who was, felt like he was bullied. So he kills himself and somehow gets power over the whole ghost world it's like well why didn't you start with that lead with that man you know (laughs) (laughs) like if you just can you know kill yourself and essentially get power over every ghost i mean my my lord um but i don't know Uh, you know like i said i i rooted for that movie to do well and and we're only doing this i'm only saying this because if there's anybody out there since we reviewed all these ghostbusters movies who you know maybe wondered what our opinion was or why we're not doing an episode specifically for that movie um basically the reason is and i mentioned this before i'm not here and i don't think chad's here to just you know a for lack of a better term just crap all over movies I, that's yeah. not there's so many channels out there so many critics out there who it seems like their sole purpose in the world uh, is to just, you know, put out clickbait and, and let you watch them rant about how much they hate every movie in the world for, you know, half an hour. Um, I'm here to celebrate movies personally. Yeah. I, I want to celebrate film. I want to celebrate music. I want to, you know, talk about these things and what we liked about them. And we're going to talk about negatives. We talked about some negatives tonight, certainly from time to time. But when there's a movie we just really don't like, uh, and I'm not going to say hate because I feel like that's strong, uh, you know, that's that's a pretty strong word to use towards a piece of entertainment. Um, But a movie that we just don't, you know, enjoy, uh, there's really no point in spending an hour, hour and a half breaking it down. Exactly. Um, Because if you don't like the movie, you know, you know you don't like the movie. And if you like the movie, then why are you going to listen to us, you know, tear it apart for an hour and a half that doesn't make any sense so yeah um if you like that movie hey more that's awesome more power to you um i i you know there's some people out there who like all the ghostbusters movies including the remake and that's great um if you love it celebrate it 
but it's not for us, so we're not really going to touch on it. All right, so for our next movie, um, we've sort of mentioned doing a Christmas movie, uh, Christmas Vacation Chat. I don't know, oh, you know yeah. if we, we still want to cover that one. We'll try to get that one out uh, probably next week before Christmas uh, so you guys can, can check out. We're, like I said, we'll, we'll try to cover Christmas Vacation. That's a movie that I love. Mm. Chad, I know you love it. Um, it's, it's really, it feels like over the past decade or so, it's become a Christmas staple for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's what everybody loves to watch, you know, so we'll break that one down and have some fun with it. This has been ticket stubs and cassette tapes. I'm Andy. He's Chad. We've hope we hope you've had fun. We hope this is not the last Ghostbusters movie we'll touch on. Um, but moving forward, we're going to have some fun. We're going to get into some other franchises, some other, uh, movies, And uh, we'll see you next time.